This is the APS China Quarterly, October 2020. Schrodinger Cat Walks Down Wall Street by Wong Kok Hoi. The Millennial Traders, the Young Bulls. Stock markets across the globe have gone on a tear since the 23rd March trough, even as most professional investors exercised caution. That stance got roughly trampled by stampeding millennial and Gen Z bulls in their 20s and 30s. They are at extremes, the young bulls and the old bears, with the gap wider than ever before as U.S. stock markets hit 20-year highs in terms of both price-to-earnings and price-to-book. Are these youthful, app-toting retail day traders and punters, led by a sports betting doyen-turned-investment guru, emblematic of a new normal in investing? Or are the more mature and seasoned professional investors rooted in fundamentals who see the colossal disconnect between Wall Street and Main Street going to be proven right before too long? Only one of these outcomes can come to fruition, and they surely cannot both exist in the same timeline, in the same world. There cannot be two correct interpretations of the same singular reality, not in the stock market. Only one interpretation will eventually be proven right. Like in the famed Austrian-Irish physicist Erwin Schrödinger's quantum theory thought experiment, the cat cannot be both alive and dead at the same time. As the COVID-19 pandemic left cruise ships idle and grounded airlines while shutting down schools, workplaces, malls, restaurants, bars, casinos, and sports betting in the world's largest economy, folks had more time to watch the markets. During the lockdown, new online brokerages like Robinhood were offering free trading, options, cheap debt, and the ability to buy small slices of stocks, which enticed more inexperienced investors into stock markets. There are concerns about the gamification of investing as this new class of e-brokers push constant updates about profits and losses to users' mobile devices, with confetti blasting across screens when users make their first stock and option trades. These sardine-sized retail investors are not the only equity option debutantes. SoftBank was outed as the, quote, Nasdaq whale in September and went on to lose USD $12 billion of market cap in a week. How many other first-time whale-sized option traders are also merrily involved in this new game in town? To get retail investors started, new users are given a free stock, usually valued below 10 US dollars. Berkshire Hathaway's typically blunt and direct vice chairman Charlie Munger warned at last year's annual meeting of the Daily Journal, the publisher he chairs, quote, If you take the modern world where people are trying to teach you to come in and trade actively in stocks, well, I regard that as roughly equivalent to trying to induce a bunch of young people to start off on heroin, unquote. He told the attendees, quote, It is really stupid. Millions of young Americans have begun investing in recent years through Robinhood, which was founded in 2013 with a sales pitch of no trading fees or account minimums. The ease of trading has turned it into a cultural phenomenon and a Silicon Valley darling 
with the startup climbing to a USD 8.3 billion valuation. It has been one of the tech industry's biggest growth stories during the recent market turmoil. The average age of its clients is 31, the company said, and half its customers had never invested before. By May 2020, Robinhood said it had 13 million accounts, adding 3 million new users in about six months. Charles Schwab said it had 12.7 million brokerage accounts in its latest filings. E-Trade reported 5.5 million. Schwab, E-Trade, and Interactive Brokers together saw their number of accounts nearly double in five months. Social media platforms like Reddit and Twitter also fuel the frenzy, with self-styled gurus like Dave Portnoy, founder and CEO of Barstool Sports, declaring that he is now the captain of the ship, and living legend Warren Buffett is old news. Portnoy said he dipped into the market to get a sense of competition and fill the void while pro sports games were on hold. Portnoy revived his dormant E-Trade account with roughly 50 US dollars in it and began investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in names like Boeing and Alibaba when the shutdowns kicked in. Quote, It's the combination of no sports, so you can't bet on that, and you can't go outside. There's a lot of people sitting in front of their computers who ordinarily can't be day trading, Portnoy told CNBC in a phone interview in May. Quote, for a gambler, investing has a ton of similarities, unquote. Quote, the parallels between video games and day trading is becoming closer and closer, says Andrew Lowe, a finance professor at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, according to the Financial Times. According to Prof. Lowe's studies of traders, the consequences include fear, anxiety, regret, frustration, and disappointment, and even symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder for those who made large losses early in their careers. The retail trading phenomenon has infected some professional investors. Max Gokman, head of asset allocation for U.S. fund manager Pacific Life Fund Advisors, told the Financial Times that he has now been forced to consider the impact of retail trading in companies popular among retail investors, such as airline stocks and Tesla and he had reason to do so. The following chart from Allianz Research's When Main Street Makes It to Wall Street shows a whopping 13% of S&P 500 options volume traded in the one-contract retail size. These, quote, new retailers seem to provide a momentum impulse in the U.S. equity market, which is then picked up and reinforced by automated hedge fund systematic strategies thus helping the trend feed back into itself. Gokman likened the retail traders to the mythical Greek figure Icarus, simply soaring higher and higher on wings of wax and feathers, ever closer to the sun. Inevitably, Icarus, in this case the day traders, will crash, he opined. The sun heats up the air that carries these young millennial bulls ever higher, it is conventional wisdom that you shouldn't stare at the sun, but in this case, professional investors need to take a long, hard look at the U.S. Federal Reserve under the leadership of Jerome Powell, working in the shadow of a Trump White House. The Fed has promised indefinite liquidity 
and is already buying bond ETFs and single issues, while hinting at being buyer of last resort for stocks. The young bulls might ask, how could we lose money if the Fed has signaled its willingness to play the role of being the greater fool who will buy when things go wrong? Their mantras are, don't fight the Fed and buy the expletive dip, which is behind the popular Twitter hashtag BTFD. It is Wall Street's, quote, Fed put, writ large in mainstream punting. The winged bulls may well think, why care about COVID-19, job losses, bankruptcies, and high PEs, as well as colossal debt across U.S. households, American companies, and the U.S. federal government? These matters don't matter in our calculus. As far as they are concerned, this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance to make money in this new game in town, and only fools won't play. Heads they win, tails the Fed loses, so they reason. The Fed has unilaterally brought down bond yields, which otherwise ought to be much higher today, to reflect weakened balance sheets, increased business uncertainties, and heightened default risks as COVID-19 continues to hobble economies across the globe. These young bulls are flying high, confident of getting out before the whole thing crashes, for they are fleet of foot. They also believe stocks only go up in an election year, regardless of the state of the economy. This new breed of retail investor plan to exit their positions several weeks ahead of the U.S. presidential elections, front-running other investors who are planning their own exits a week or two ahead. At least, that is the key pillar of their nimble-footed investing strategy, most likely. They think they are managing risk by mostly buying iconic U.S. companies like Apple and Boeing, ADRs like JD.com and Pinduoduo from the world's fastest-growing major economy, and dabbling in names like Hertz and Kodak for a few days at a time, punting the 20x rise over days and then exiting before the inevitable crash. The next chart shows the spike in Robinhood users holding Hertz stock after the company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The same pattern played out when Ford's credit rating was dropped to double B, as shown by the chart below from Allianz. History will rhyme once again, and as it turned out in recent fiascos, the foolhardy will once again, quote, be left holding the baby. As for the China ADRs, since they don't know all that much about China, in all likelihood, they'll follow the keep it simple stupid kiss rule of thumb and buy the Chinese internet firms that are at the top of the search engine results and show up the most in U.S. SEC filings. Knowing this, not a small number of those Chinese companies have built PR departments for the sole purpose of feeding, quote, positive news about themselves every few hours to print and internet media. This machinery is powerful, as companies and even universities pay reporters in China to attend company briefings. This is an old custom, and we can expect positive reporting most of the time. Chinese investors are therefore wary of corporate news releases, but not U.S. investors. 
Investors also believe frigid Sino-U.S. relations is just a President Donald Trump thing, and that things will improve in 2021 after Joe Biden takes the White House, and that the China ADRs will be alright. Thus, they avoid the paralysis by analysis that plague fundamental investors who swear by making sure the numbers add up. There are two key ingredients for success in this risky game, guts and gut fuel. Combine this with fleetness of foot, and you would make lots of money, so the investing young Turks reason. They also are girded by their faith in the supremacy of human scientific brilliance, taking as a given that a safe, high-efficacy vaccine will be developed by end 2020 and broadly, smoothly deployed worldwide over the course of 2021. They have faith that human brilliance will not be hamstrung by a lack of resources, because a global pandemic where rich nations can't escape unscathed will ensure scientists have all that they need. They have faith that efforts at a COVID-19 vaccine will succeed when lasting protection against malaria, dengue fever, tuberculosis, and the common flu remain elusive after decades of effort. The Fundamentalist Investors, Old Bears A few months after the market's 23rd March low, retail investors' darlings had trounced those that hedge fund operators and mutual fund managers preferred, according to Goldman Sachs' chief U.S. equity strategist David Costin and his team on 14 June. Since the trough, the retail favorites surged 61%, outpacing the pros' 45% return, which in turn beat the S&P 500's 36% gain. Among the retail favorites are names like casino player MGM Resorts and cruise ship operator Royal Caribbean Cruises, which was down 59% for the year in June, but had snapped back by 95% from the trough. Never mind social distancing measures and widespread bans on international leisure travel with as-yet-unknown durations. This old bear has not seen anything like this in recent decades, where Main Street and Wall Street are so colossally disconnected. The ailments on Main Street include an unemployment rate of over 10% in America, with no evidence that this will drop meaningfully in the coming years, rising bankruptcies, zombie companies on IV drips of Fed liquidity, 30 million American workers relying on government payouts to keep up with their living expenses for almost half a year, and a forecast global GDP contraction of at least 6% for 2020, with no visibility of a meaningful recovery in 2021. Not only the U.S. economy will suffer from this kind of colossal damage, But most nations across the world will suffer such a fate, with a distinct possibility that the virus will be with us for years. Researchers at the Australia National University estimate a cumulative global output loss as high as USD 35.3 trillion by 2025, which is the combined size of the US and China economies. In that particular scenario, 
Lockdowns only occur in the first wave for countries that had lockdowns, and so the pandemic continues to reemerge, causing a permanent increase in global risk where GDP losses in future years continues to accumulate. Only time will tell if and when, and how many, second and third waves emerge, and how disparate governments across the world respond. So it is puzzling to many that there is a carnival mood in the stock markets when we are not even halfway through a long, dark tunnel, going by economic data and scientists in public health care. China is probably the exception amongst the major economies because it has successfully contained the virus and its economy is already showing signs of economic normality. Large numbers of investors seem to have developed immunity to bad news, way before the proverbial herd has developed immunity to COVID-19. The Fed's promise of infinite liquidity to financial markets is an indication of how dire they view the straits that bond and equity markets are in, and the danger of bond yields accurately reflecting the risks of sectors like airlines, with United Airlines being one example. The basis trade strategies of some large fixed-income hedge funds, which applied heavy leverage to purchase corporate debt while shorting U.S. treasuries, would have gone belly-up without Fed intervention, which I feel is a direct result of the Fed creating this huge moral hazard. Eventually, bonds will have to more accurately price the risks correctly, while in the meantime, bubbles get inflated until a sharp, vicious correction brings things back to an even keel. There is an excessive optimism towards the successful deployment of a vaccine safe for mass deployments. The mumps vaccine was rolled out in a record four years, while most take seven to ten years. A rush job squeezed into less than 12 months can probably only be given to frontline medical staff after just months of clinical trials and will certainly be deemed to be unsafe for infants, young children, seniors, and those in ill health. The still mutating virus has only been with us for months, not years, and so much about it is still unknown. In recent weeks, we have seen the resurgence of COVID-19 in countries like Japan, South Korea, New Zealand, and Australia, which previously enjoyed some success in tamping down the virus. Just in the past week, the UK, France, Germany, and Denmark are reporting flare-ups, months before we enter the winter season. Since this is such a large known unknown, it would be meaningless for economists to try to predict the timing for an economic recovery. We can't tell either way, either by evolution of the virus itself or the actions of man. To discern the shape of the recovery, we're better off asking Dr. Anthony Stephen Fauci or Dr. Zong Nanshan rather than any Wall Street economist. We at APS take every piece of their advice or warnings seriously. Despite what the Fed says, central banks cannot print to infinity forever before they have to pay the piper. History has patently demonstrated that there will always be unintended consequences from massive liquidity creation. By the end of August, 
The almighty U.S. dollar had already fallen 9% in five months against the Bloomberg Dollar Spot Index, which tracks the performance of a basket of 10 leading global currencies versus the U.S. dollar. In this kind of uncertain future, companies will cut capex significantly, and consumers will tighten belts. All these will add up to subtract from economic growth. The escalating Sino-U.S. Cold War seems to be bifurcating the world into two blocks. This risk is likely to outlast the Trump and possible Biden presidencies. The Trump administration's hostile tactics against Huawei, TikTok, SMIC, and dozens of other companies has made it patently clear to the average Chinese citizen that the U.S. is bent on stunting China's rise. We can expect a stronger China response, both from the central government and citizenry, to increased hostile U.S. actions. There has been some nationalistic buying of Huawei phones in China from last year at the expense of iPhones. The likelihood of a tit-for-tat trade and tech war has risen. If that comes to pass, it will surely doom the world to a prolonged recession. In normal times, P-E ratio expansion is almost without exception, accompanied by expectations of accelerating earnings growth. This time, not only is earnings growth acceleration not on the horizon, but it is in fact fast contracting. Several FANG stocks are seeing modest earnings growth in the first half, to be fair, but the stock prices are reflecting growth multiples of that and hence the already lofty multiples are elevated to even higher levels. Fundamentalists struggle to grasp this bizarre market behavior. What in the world are stocks discounting? It surely cannot be sudden improvements in Sino-U.S. relations, or an abrupt economic recovery, or the miraculous disappearance of the crown coronavirus, or a discovery of a magical vaccine by year's end, or an earnings recovery, or any combination thereof. Many preeminent and successful fundamentalists have gone on record to say that it is nothing but speculation, like in the cases of bankrupt Hertz and loss-making Kodak. While the fundamentalists are elated with paper gains, they are concerned about the health of this stock market that has for too long been propped up by the Fed's steroids. Prolonged abuse of steroids, whether chemical or financial, will surely lead to serious debilitating side effects. We can't convince ourselves that we are in a new paradigm. The 9% decline of the U.S. dollar could be one of the first signs of side effects. With so much greenbacks sloshing around, we would not be surprised if there is an additional 10% drop in the U.S. dollar over the next 12 months. Worry, worry, worry. It is also bewildering why Chinese e-commerce companies like JD and PDD have market caps in excess of USD 100 billion when online retail has absolutely no entry barriers to a business selling commoditized offerings like toilet rolls, 
cooking oil, smartphones, jeans, apples, oranges, etc. If there is no money to be made selling these products today, why should there be a profit tomorrow? Will there be a new magic tomorrow in selling these products? For instance, PDD is worth USD 100 billion after just six years in business with no proprietary technology and fixed assets. And their business model thus far is built on using shareholder capital to subsidize customer purchases in the lower tier cities and villages, burning USD 1.6 billion of shareholder capital in the past year to generate revenue of USD 5.3 billion. It is inconceivable that an e-commerce company can turn a decent profit by selling such products and therefore justify its market valuation, when there are hundreds of wannabes in the chasing pack, of which some are lavishly funded by private equity money. Many entrepreneurs in China aspire to be the next JD or PDD, and which venture capital firm wouldn't take a punt on one of the savvier ones? Kuaishou and ByteDance are just two of the dozens of companies coming to the IPO market soon to raise capital, to add to the list of already profitless online retail business that are publicly traded. The e-commerce industry is a perfect example of the theory of the firm under perfect competition in economics, where even the dominant firm is a price taker. The empirical evidence thus far perfectly corroborates this economic theory, which so far has destroyed capital for most firms except one. For how much longer can the stock market defy Ronald Coase's theory dating back to 1937, when it has done so well in explaining and predicting almost every industry we know of, from airlines to electronic products, to autos, to toothbrushes, to cooking oil, and so forth. Is it a surprise that several founders of Chinese e-commerce firms have sold billions of dollars of stocks in recent months? What matters in this game is for companies to be able to tell good stories to investors and promise future earnings, noted a veteran in China's e-commerce space, JD, for example, at its IPO more than six years ago, started with the simple story of operating leverage leading to strong cash flows and profits. When this did not materialize, even after revenue doubled in two years, it switched to a sexy storyline of building the firm into a tech e-commerce company like Amazon. In short, it wants the investment community to think of it as the Amazon of China, when it was clear that it neither has the expertise nor the capital to build and invest in cloud computing, much less other more advanced technologies, its story morphed yet again to building a USD 3.5 billion logistics network featuring drones that will deliver parcels to every corner of the country. Then it swung to a million convenience stores in five years that would have been profitable from day one. And then this year, riding on the COVID-19 pandemic, it has now come back full circle to logistics. 
In the final analysis, stock prices are determined by earnings over the long term and earnings only. They are never built on stories. Which brings us to the most valuable company in the world, Apple Incorporated. Its most profitable product is already a matured product. In 2019, the worldwide smartphone market shrank by 2% to 1.37 billion units. IDC forecasts the smartphone market to contract 10% this year. In a mature market, iPhones have been losing market share. Hence, Apple's earnings peaked two years ago, and yet the stock shot up 144%, pushing its P.E. ratio to 37 times. Why should the stock of a matured company sell at hyper-growth valuations? Is Apple about to launch a revolutionary consumer product? Or are smartphones entering a new growth phase? Even the growth rate of its services business has also been slowing down in a crowded space that has not been its historical core competence. On top of all of that, it faces challenges from its app developers, such as the company behind the hit mobile game Fortnite, as well as regulators across the world. What is the stock price discounting? When Apple's share price moves up by 2.5% in a day, the value creation of USD 50 billion is equivalent to a year's profits. That is some crazy context for you. In 2000, for the 10 biggest stocks in the S&P 500 by market cap, the P.E. ratio was 62.6 versus 20 times today. Back in March 2000, the iconic TMT stock Cisco had the highest P.E. ratio among the 10 biggest stocks at 196.2, followed by Oracle at 148.4. No wonder both stock prices dropped more than 80% during the TMT crash. An investor who bought Cisco stock 20 years ago is still below water today. Crazy things always happen in Super Bowl markets. In the late 1980s, Japanese portfolio managers with four to five years of experience were given billion-dollar portfolios to manage. The number of stocks in their portfolios increased with experience, not because they subsequently learned about the merits of diversification, but because their brokers would always recommend that they buy the next hot stock. They just didn't know what and when to sell. These are true stories. In the subsequent bear market, not only did the portfolio managers suffer massive losses and lost their jobs, some of them brought down their firms as well. As an aside, Japanese manufacturing companies often lamented during the Super Bowl market that it was too tough to make money from manufacturing, but it was so easy in the stock market. In the run-up to the late 90s Asian financial crisis, teachers and lawyers quit their jobs to become stockbrokers. Again, massive amounts of wealth were destroyed in the crisis. U.S. GDP is projected to contract by USD 1.4 trillion this year, but the stock market by August has already created wealth of USD 10 trillion from the March market bottom. 
the conventional depiction of this bizarre situation is that Wall Street and Main Street are disconnected, as if the GDP contracted in one world and the stock market rocketed in a parallel world. Parallel worlds? The complexity of the mathematics underlying quantum theory has led to many interpretations, some of which seem bizarre or counterintuitive. One interpretation of quantum theory is the Copenhagen interpretation, where the cat can be both alive and dead at the same time, which caused Albert Einstein many sleepless nights because he disliked the idea that God would roll the dice to determine the fate of the universe. He rejoiced when Schrodinger came up with his thought experiment featuring the now-famous cat, which showed the weakness and the absurdity of that interpretation, at least in the context of the world that we know. However, to this day, physicists are still debating the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum theory. Luckily, in the mathematics of investing, matters are clear-cut and leave no room for alternative facts. There simply cannot be two outcomes at the same time for one business regardless of your interpretation. When companies generate an attractive return, where it is higher than the cost of equity, value is created within the company. If that firm is listed on the stock market, then the share price will rise to reflect that. The ultimate mathematics of investing is that the present value of the company must be about equal to the present value of all future cash flows, and there have been no exceptions in the history of investing. Any deviation from this in the short term will be brought back to reality by this investment axiom. You can delay it, but you cannot run away from it, just like death and taxes. In short, the current sizzling stock market is like a crowded elevator, with more and more passengers packing in. They are happy to see the elevator going up and up, without any thought as to whether the elevator is attached to cables strong enough to take the strain. If the cables snap, the crash would be catastrophic. In essence, one set of fundamentals can only lead to one outcome no matter how many interpretations. When you next see a cat walking down Wall Street, don't bother to think if it might be a Schrodinger cat, just call it a cat. Wong Kakoi is the founder and CIO of APS Asset Management. He has almost 40 years of investment experience, including CIO at CityTrust Japan, Senior PM at Citibank Hong Kong, and Senior Investment Officer of GIC. He was the recipient of the prestigious Mambushu Scholarship in Japan and graduated with a Bachelor of Commerce honors degree from the Hitotsubashi University, 1981. Mr. Wong also completed the Investment Appraisal and Management Program at Harvard University, 1990.